I'm Tara Duffy, a business coach and entrepreneur on a mission to help you live your most extraordinary life by showing you that anything and all of it is possible. People who have mastered freedom, ease, and success, who are living their best and most ridiculous lives, who are making the impact they want to in the world, are often people you've never heard of until now. Today's episode is the live recording of our special International Women's Day Powerful Conversation series themed Powerful Ladies for Change. There's so much going on in our world today and all of it impacts women. So I wanted to bring together a few of the badasses in the Powerful Ladies community. And I wanted to ask them how they do it, why they do it, and how any of us can take actions to be the change that we wish to see in the world too. Our amazing panelists include Christy Dinsmore of Revolution Group, Chandra Gore of Conversations with Sean, Carolina Trejos of Pink Cafe, and Dr. Sophia Yen of Pandia Health. I hope this episode moves and inspires you and is one that you share with everyone you know because this conversation is so powerful. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special event for International Women's Day. Hi, happy to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having us. I forget what a powerful day this is, you know, like to think that the entire world is celebrating and honoring women today um, in particular. And of course, this whole month. And I know that I get cut up running a business called Powerful Ladies and spending a lot of time with Powerful Ladies. It's really easy for me to forget that there are people who don't feel powerful and who don't feel like they're living with their purpose or their alignment. Uh, so I feel really lucky today to have four amazing uh, guest speakers with me today who really represent what it means to step into their power and to fight and stand for and make space for other people who want to, you know, have their power and access as well. Uh, so I'd love to begin by kind of introducing everyone here to who they are. I'm going to start with uh, Christy. So Christy, please introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are, where you are, and how you are being the change that you wish to see in the world. Thanks for having us, Kara. Um, my name is Christy Dinsmore. I'm coming to you from Venice Beach, California today, and I'm representing uh, Revolution. It's a nonprofit that I co-founded, and we are creating change you know, Kara already said it basically by like giving space, we empower people to step into their best selves, we make them feel welcome, we help them see a future that they didn't imagine for themselves previously. And we do a lot of community building. And of course, then we also have Chandra Gore. Same questions for you, Chandra. Where are you? What are you up to? And how are you being the change you wish to see? Well, I am located in Stafford, Virginia, right outside of DC. I'm a business consultant and publicist. Um, I am helping um, women, um, women of color, to find their voice and their um, and to enhance and get their reach through public relations. And also, I'm helping others with their businesses foundation and making sure that they're ready to to work with others. And uh, that's pretty much how I how I am doing everything at that point. Um, I love and I. I'm on the board of several nonprofits um, that 
you know, that are supporting um, the youth and also educators here in Stafford. And then, of course, last but not least, we have Carolina. Where are you in the world? What are you up to? And how are you being the change you wish to see? Awesome. Thank you for having me. My name is Carolina Trejos, and I'm here representing Pink Cafe. Pink Cafe is a, we have a podcast, a TV show. We mainly are focusing on a TV show now that I co-host with my sister. And that is the core of Pink Cafe is sisterhood. We focus on empowering women, young women, entrepreneurs, small business owners, the, to really discover what it is, what maybe some tools and things that they could do to move their career forward. We also we're here to support those women who are taking, you know, a turn, uh, who are pivoting in their careers, switching from the nine to five to an entrepreneur world, which is a whole new world for everybody. So I'm very honored to do that along with my sister, myself. I am a journalist. That is my my passion. My passion is being a voice for my community. And that's how I'm doing it right now for the women's community and excited to be here on Women's Day. Well, I've had uh, each of you on the podcast separately, and I was so impressed by just how you're stepping into a space that you feel called to. And I think when a lot of people think about wanting to be the change and wanting to take action about changing the way the world is today, um, it can be really overwhelming. So I'd love to hear your perspectives on, you know, when you were, before you were doing what you're doing today, how did it feel when you started taking actions? Was it hard? Did you feel called to it? Basically, how did you go from being on the sidelines to being you know, in the game and playing and making an impact? I can Christy, start with that one. Yeah. Well, and I also realized I didn't mention our target, audi- our target audience at Revolution. We work with people that are formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated, and then definitely involve like system impacted people and families. And that's directly related to what you asked because I encounter a lot of people who ask me if I'm scared or how I can be in that kind of environment. And the answer to your question is that um, I was always very called to it and I was never, I was never scared it, and it never, it's all, it's actually gotten harder. I probably, I, some people probably don't want to hear that, but it's gotten harder as time goes on because we've gotten more into the nitty gritty, more into the, like the administrative stuff, more into like the business, more into the liability. But the starting it was like, I feel, I, I see a purpose. I see a place. Um, I connect with people. I have the energy for it. Like I've always found that I do well. I feel like our calling is when we have energy for something. And for me, um, I just always knew that like creating equality and community, making people who don't feel welcome or don't feel human or don't feel seen, feel seen was what I wanted to do. And that was super easy to start. And I think like the prisons and people who are formerly incarcerated was super easy because they're so hungry for it. And they're so grateful when they get it. So um, it was super rewarding and like super cool to step into. I, I will say, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I will say like, because uh, I did mention my my company, um, Chandragore Consulting, and then my personal brand conversations with Chan made me, you know, step out from behind the, the velvet curtain and to actually talk to other individuals who have launched a business or are afraid to speak about their story and things like that. So by elevating them and allowing them to have a conversation, which, you know, the, my slogan is conversations begin with a smile. It eases them, individuals, into talking about what they've been through, how they're navigating and, you know, being able to give them that voice or make them feel comfortable so that others can see that they've, you know, they can 
align themselves or see themselves in their stories, which actually makes them comfortable to talk to each other and to to grow as a person and be comfortable. I and I appreciate the fact that you're bringing up the fact of um, returning citizens and those who are incarcerated, because for the um, one of the nonprofits, we we educate them. We educate those individuals so that they do not reoffend and they're no longer labeled as um, throwaway individuals from society. Because most of the time, it's lack of those resources or lack of those skills that cause them to do that. So that's how I'm able to um, provide those different elements of making someone feel better about themselves, making themselves, you know, in a, in a sense, nurturing them like most women do. You know, we nurture, we try to help them to grow. So that's a way that, you know, we are able to do that. Carolina, go ahead. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, and I love that you said, Chandra, uh, the power of a story. You know, I'm a storyteller at heart. And ever since I was a, a little girl, I was like, I want to do some, whatever I do in my career, whatever professional path I decide to do, it has to be being a voice for my community or helping my community or being, you know, taking a stand for different things. And, and I was always that, that college student that uh, was involved in student working for equal rights or like student government, you know? Um, so when I finished my career in journalism, uh, I guess one of the first jobs that I got was in entertainment and I was working in entertainment for a while and telling stories of, you know, celebrities and, um, movies and TV shows and music. And I did love that. And, and I was always that one reporter that wanted to go deeper, deeper into the story. I'm like, okay, you're releasing a new album, you're releasing new music, but what, what is it behind, you know, what's the, you know, when some artists will become bigger and bigger, I was like, what else are you doing for your community? You know, <laughs> sometimes it will get a little bit annoying. They're like, okay, I'm here to promote my, my music. But I was like, there's, there's a little bit more that, you know, that you're doing for your community. Um, so yeah, I think that that was one of the driving factors that, that it took me uh, to take a change or make a change in my career as well. I was very comfortable in, in a career in entertainment. I was working for a magazine in New York, living the journalist, New York City lifestyle, which was amazing. Um, but then I was like, there's something else. I'm missing something. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite fulfilled with what I'm doing right now. And that's when I took, you know, I took a, a change because I wanted to be part of something more meaning, meaningful, helping a community, helping uh, you know, maybe a, a sisterhood. And that's when I came right with, you know, to my sister. And I was like, how can we both use our careers and our journeys to help other women, maybe giving them a path or like sharing other women's stories and helping them take that next step. If they're not feeling, you know, happy, they're not feeling fulfilled. How can we make this happen? Because I feel like nowadays with, with women and, you know, in careers or any in, in different departments in our lives, our column departments, we tend to go by different labels. You know, we have labels that uh, you're supposed to be this person or you're supposed to be this for someone else. And we're always, you know, either a caregiver or we're always there for someone else. But what about when you have that passion and that fire burning inside where you want to do something else for you that is going to help someone else as well? You know, so I think that that was one of the my my driving factors too. you know, just making sure that we're always paying it forward um, with with whatever we're doing. Well, I think that's thing that calls to all of us here. Right. Of like of no one who's on this call feels OK doing their work and going to bed and just thinking about themselves. No one does. Right. And, and I know that that's the community that 
uh, I want more of, and I hope that, you know, powerful ladies and, and even the care Duffy side of the business continues to attract because I think like attracts like, and there's so much momentum that we can create together. Um, before I go into my next question, I want to give the opportunity to Dr. Sophia Yen to introduce herself. She was busy saving the world, so she's a little bit late for this call. Uh, but Dr. Sophia Yen, please introduce yourself, who you are, where you are, and what change you wish to see in the world that you are taking actions on. Thank you so much for putting this together. And what an impressive and powerful and passionate group of women we have here today. So honored to be part of this. I'm sorry I'm late. I was writing an op-ed on um, what happens when Roe v. Wade is overturned. And so uh, that's what I was up to. I'm a physician. I specialize in teenagers. We call that sex, drugs, rock and roll, a little acne and some sports medicine. I'm also the CEO and co-founder of Pandia Health, which is the only women-founded and women-led, the only doctor-led birth control delivery company. And we're building the online health brand Women Trust because I made this company for me. I made this company for my daughters and anybody with a uterus. So it's expert care by expert doctors. And um, the foundation is no one runs out of birth control on our watch. And now we're going to add on acne and I'm menopause age. So all my friends are like menopause, menopause, menopause. So we will do evidence-based, scientifically backed menopause treatment, find the best treatment for you, for me, and then with my academic Stanford clinical associate professor background and also MIT background, we're going to look at what's the best according to your race, your BMI, your age. And then in the future, if people give us their genetics via you know, 23andMe or color or whatever sequencing thing you decide to pay money and use, then we can link it up and see, oh, you have this genes, this is the best birth control for you. Oh, you got these genes, this is the best menopause treatment for you. So that's where we see Candia Health going. I'm based in the heart of Silicon Valley, so Sunnyvale, California, and have pretty much been in California all my life, except for four years where I froze my butt off at MIT. <laughs> Um, but, and, you know, thank you all for being here, right? Because I want you guys to also see in each other that we have this sisterhood that we don't know exists of women fighting in each of our own corners, right? Like we are literally in different parts of the, the globe or in the U S. Um, but everything that each of you is taking action on, I know that everyone else also cares about, right? One of the things that gets really overwhelming for me is I care about all the things, right? Like I want to make sure that, you know, women have a choice about their bodies. I want to make sure that we are reducing, you know, who's in jail and why and terms and sentencing and like bringing people back to community. I want to make sure that voting rights are, are everywhere. I want to make sure that there's a quality across all the things, right? <laughs> Gender, race, sexual identity, you name it. Plus, you know, there's worrying about the environment, worrying about, it just keeps going. Um, how do you guys balance being able to be focused in the areas where you can take action and have chosen to take action versus all the other things that are on your list? Go ahead. I raise yeah. my hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll start this one because I, this is a topic that has been, I've been very present trying to work on it because, you know, when you make this change and when you start really focusing on something that matters for you, uh, because when we have, at nine to five, where we have a regular of uh, a job, you know, we go and it's so easy to keep your schedule. It's so e easy to 
to keep focused. But how do we do it when we become an entrepreneur or when we are completely independent? No one's really asking us or watching us, right? So that has been a big, one of the biggest um, challenges for me to learn how to balance that in by keeping my focus. And I think uh, once I learned the why, you know, we talk about the why, the why, why we do what we do and why we, why I started this. And sometimes I'm like, why I did this? And sometimes I'm like, that's why, you know? So it comes like, it's like an up and down. It's a journey that you have to fight on it every single day. And uh, for me, the, the best part of this journey has been learning new tools, learning different things, because my coming from the news business or breaking news entertainment, we have to, I, uh, I pride myself of being like a fast uh, turnaround. Like I can get something ready by tomorrow and let's go, right? Flip the page. Uh, but then at work, I have now have a, a partner who has a different kind of system. She's more on a, you know, planning ahead and we're going to do quarter one, quarter two. She's planning already like a year ahead. And I'm like, ah, so, but that's beautiful. And I want to learn it. And she wants to learn how to like my side too, like how to react a little faster, improvise, like go with the spur of the moment, you know? So that has definitely been a, a, a challenge. And one of the things that I've, that have become kind of like a, a lifesaver is, you know, different programs online that help you um, stay like putting your, your tasks, being your daily tasks or, you know, your monthly goals, starting with your, you know, your big vision. I, I, I really believe in uh, having your purpose present every single day, like your purpose and your why is not something that you just visit every year. Oh, let's see what the why of my, <laughs> this new thing I'm doing is you revisit it every single day because when you lack or when that kind of like the fuel or motivation starts to like die down a little bit, you're like, okay, this is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. So yeah, I, I would say maybe I rambled a little bit to say that keeping your, your purpose and why you're doing what you're doing is something so important. And then there are different tools to help you stay organized. Yeah. I personally, um, I wish I could take credit for that. It's such a good question because it's really hard. It's, it's, it is a fight all the time. You know, it's a struggle if you care and it's a struggle when you, especially if you know, like lots of different people that care, then they always have a cause that, you know, you want to volunteer to support you, you want to show up for. And then you're like, are you, am I doing enough in my home? Am I, am I recycling enough? And then you hear that recycling is not even a thing anymore. And you're like, well, then what am I supposed to do? And it's easy to get lost in that. So for me, um, I think one I, my, my best, um, asset is, is taking my own advice. I believe greatly in modeling. I think, um, like, I think you said it recently in one of our, our meetings, Kara, like if you touch one person, then you've done it, It's, you've done something that's valuable. You know, thinking we have to change the entire world is not realistic. So if you're not going to be happy, unless you change the whole world, you're setting yourself up for failure. But if we can just touch one person. And so I really focus on like small bits, like how can I show up with you right now? What can I do in this moment? And then, and then trusting too, like that if I, um, you know, in the powerful ladies community, we've been talking about authenticity a lot, but if I show up authentically and allow other people to do that and model that, invite them to be themselves. Cause the greatest thing that stands in most people's way is not being able to be honest. Am I following my dream? Can I say, I want this? Can I say, Oh, I have a boundary. I'm not going to do that so that we can like balance things better. And so, um, taking my own advice, being authentic and then really trusting that like whatever that does for me is also modeling and somehow like creating space for other people is probably like the foundation for me. Um, but then the rest is like that, 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 um, 
that saying on the airplane, you have to, you have to put your own face mask on before you help somebody else is really like keeping top of mind that we're not, we're going to burn out. We're not going to do any good. If I'm overwhelmed, I'm no use to anybody. So, um, just realizing that like a little bit does go a long way. And that if we all did a little bit, it really would be okay. And, um, and I love, I love that Carolina was talking about like remembering your purpose because it sounds so, there's so many things that we take as like a cliche, like, Oh, I don't have to do that work. Or I, you know, I don't have to do that every day. But like, we, we all think you do have to be, you have to eat healthy to stay healthy. You have to put gas in your car for it to run. And so that's why I love being a part of like these communities because of the powerful ladies community, like we're constantly reminding each other of the affirmations or, or do you, like, Hey, did you think about your purpose? I, I hear you having a hard week. Like, let's get back to something that like gets you to, you know, to your, your core or, or prioritize. And so doing something, surrounding yourself with people, having a mantra, having a daily ritual, you know, journaling. I don't know what it is. It can be different for different people, but keeping your purpose, like Carolina is absolutely right. Like you have to do something to exercise that. It doesn't just like stay inside you. And Chandra, I know how busy you are. So, you know, you've got like all the things. Every time I talk to you, it's like, I don't know when you actually sleep. I nap. <laughs> I do. And I have actually started time blocking more so that because there's no such thing as balance because something is going to something is going to be um, you're going to take from one to give to the other. So there's really no such thing as balance. It's just managing the time so that you can, you know, devote with the time that's needed to certain things, but also getting, giving yourself realistic goals, like time goals, because if you know that it's going to take you three days to get back to a certain project or to complete a certain project, take that three days, state that so that no boundaries, such as reminders, you know, when am I going to get this, that kind of, those kinds of emails. And then that makes you have pressure. And then from there you burn out and then you get upset. So for me, I'm, I always tell my clients and those who are around me, it's like, listen, be realistic with your time because you can't give you can't give uh, your full self if you're stressed out, upset and sitting in a corner. You know what I'm saying? Hugging a bottle of wine because <laughs> because you're already burned out. And so as many of us who have the um, have a heart that we want to give back. We want to take care of our communities. We want to make sure we're supporting everyone. You lose that support that you have for yourself. So making sure you're able to, um, to recognize that and own that, like it is okay to say no, you know, it is okay to say, you know, I need a moment because you cannot bear all of those things at one time. So that's how I'm able to get through and do because voter registration is very very key to me and that's like i i start my um voter registration drive in all in april like literally <laughs> i'm big i just want people to understand their rights and all those things so i had to time block these are the days that i'm going to work on voter registration my voter registration drive these are the only days that i'm going to do that so that way i'm putting that boundary in place for myself so that i don't I'm not I'm not um, going crazy. Even when the work what I do at various nonprofits, I block that time off. Like this is the four hours that I have this week. I'm going to dedicate to that because when you start to feel um, you start to feel the burden of it, like it becomes a burden because you're worried about deadlines and things like that. Your passion goes away. Your light that, you know, that fuels you, that that fire that that fuels you to be passionate about it. It keeps dwindling and you don't want to lose that. 
because like one of the previous speakers said, it's you, you, you're fueled by your passion. If you don't have fuel, you're not, your vehicle's not going to go. And, you know, Dr. Sophia Yen, you are so hyper-focused on the areas that matter to you. And, and every time I've had the chance to talk to you, I'm so excited for your episode to come out. It's coming out after this, but it'll be soon. Um, you know, I was editing it last night and I was so re-inspired by how focused you are in the areas that matter to you. How do you stay so focused and know that there are all these other things over here that has to get solved? Like, how do you trust that someone else is going to take care of them with the same passion that you care about the space that you've just defined around you and Pandia Health? I think, you know, seeing all these amazing, passionate women here, knowing that they're taking care of voter registration, that they're taking care of making sure that there's decreased incarceration in the world, knowing that this person's working on climate change. And that is not my specialty. Applying myself where I know that my efforts are best and my efforts are best in women's health because I'm a doctor and that's my specialty and that's my passion. And, you know, focusing on birth control, focusing on acne, focusing on menopause and letting other people do their thing. That's also part of when you build your team is you bring in somebody and I am a person who's like, we need to get to this many customers. This is the amount of money. I don't care how we get there, but let's get there. You know, and so some people need like, you need monthly goals, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just need to get to this number by this day. I don't care how you get there. Here's the money. If you go over budget, then we're going to have to talk. And if along the way you're giving me projections and we're nowhere close, then we need to talk, you know, but I'm not a person who's like breaking it down. You need to break it down into those little sections. So um, finding good people that you trust that can get things done. The other part is having a great partner in my life. So um, there's a book called Getting to 50-50, where your partner is picking up 50% of the home stuff, right? Taking care of the kids. Um, hot lunch is a burden in our packing lunch or hot lunch, breakfast, getting the kids to school, all the activities, Girl Scouts, gymnastics, et cetera. Luckily, my kids have slimmed down on their activities over the years, but piano teacher, you know, sports, et cetera. And um, I think a great tip I have for anybody who has a uterus and has to breastfeed, I was like, as long as I'm doing input, you're doing output. I didn't do a single diaper until three months because if you don't do input, then I can't do input and output. And they're like, well, why are you making your husband wake up every three hours like you? Because if I suffer, you suffer. And also that this baby is 50% yours. So I want you to treasure it as much as I'm treasuring it. Because <laughs> I had to get up every two to three hours for three months. And that was horrific. But that from the get go made it clear to my husband that this is 50% your child. And I already did part of the lift growing this thing for nine months in my body and pushing it out of my body. But you at the very least are going to do diapers. So he's very good at diapers and I'm very incompetent at diapers. But that was just setting the 50-50 split, Right. And thank goodness for my husband. I'm not a morning person. He takes care of getting these kids to school and giving them breakfast. Cause I just like, I'm the person like, you have to be at school at 8 30. All right, we're getting up at eight. And then you eat some breakfast and then you run. And then where's my other daughter and him like, oh, school's at 8 30. We'll get up at 7 30 or 7. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> you know, half an hour before you need to get there, not an hour. Oh, this is horrible. So he does that. And in exchange, I take care of lunch, I don't cook. 
We have, you know, takeout and every other day leftovers, but I'm the queen of takeout, you know, and in school lunch, I've been trying to work on a healthy school lunch, but that, that's a whole different argument in and of itself. So, um, yeah, I've always been told you can't win every battle, but I, why not try? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also I believe in delegating and trusting others. Hopefully we'll take up the slack. The COO heart of mine just burst into a million happy pieces with you talking about input and output in regards to child care. Like that was amazing. Um, I would love to stick with you for a second and have you share some of the realities of uh, women's rights in this country and, and why we need not just Roe v. Wade, but you know, access to birth control and those things. Because I think um, it's one of those areas, like all the other areas that we're kind of talking about today, that we know it's an issue. We know that everyone doesn't have the access, but it can be so easy to forget the magnitude of what we're actually talking about and why it can't be something that we worry about tomorrow. And so I'd love, we'll have each of you kind of speak to that in your areas of expertise, but I want to start here because for International Women's Day, I think it's like the thing that we need to kind of get recentered on. Yeah. So I'll just start because that's what made me late. <laughs> The Supreme Court is looking at Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, and they're going to outlaw abortion. They already pretty much have in Texas and um, in in that particular state after 15 weeks. And Roe v. Wade made it such that abortion is legal until viability. If it can survive outside of your body, then you can't. It's not okay. And in in cases of where the woman's life or health is in danger, and To me, this is an issue about bodily autonomy, my body, my choice, my body, my religion, your body, your religion, and then also about freedom of religion. This country was built on freedom of religion. People came here to avoid religious persecution, and it is a fundamental, your religion, your households, my religion, my household, and even people in the same religion, Catholics can differ on where they stand on abortion. There's Catholics for Choice, which ultimately believes it's your God, your relationship with God, and what's best for you and your family. And if it is to terminate this pregnancy so you can have other pregnancies in the future, then that's fine by that particular interpretation. So what's really horrifying is that most people think that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And it's going to happen in June, and it's immediately going to become illegal in 21 states. And it's just crazy talk to me that 50% of this country is going to lose their right based on what state they were born in, what state that they live in. This is the United States of America. And it shouldn't be that I was blessed to live and be in California, but somebody else is in Kansas or Florida or Texas, and they don't have that right. It also scares me, and I've told my daughters, you are not allowed to apply to colleges in any state that doesn't respect your right to bodily autonomy, because Georgia has a law on their books. Even if you leave the state to get an abortion and you come back, they can arrest you when they come, when you come back. And that is just like, well, that is the solution for a lot of people with money and means, right? Is that you leave, you go get their stuff done and you come back, but no. And then we've seen cases where a woman is in a coma and she's pregnant, and they've decided to keep her alive until the baby's born. I mean, that's never been done before. We don't know what kind of baby this is going to be growing in a dead body, but this is what Texas is trying to do. 
So if you're like pregnant and you end up in Texas <clears throat> hit by a car in a coma, this is what they're going to do to you. I was like, can we just move her from Texas to a different state that would allow her and her family and her husband and what all to decide what happens rather than this crazy state bringing this freakoid baby grown in a, you know, corpse, like just crazy stuff. And, and so the answer is we all need to run for office. Anyone who can, or anyone that, you know, that supports and trusts women and those of us with uteri and just bodily autonomy. And this is not a woman's issue. My husband cares. My family cares. If I die of an illegal abortion or my self-induced abortion or botched abortion, that will screw my children and my husband and everyone around me. And, you know, it's a family decision. Do we, is now the time for another child? You know, birth control is not 100%. And there is rape. One in four college students will be raped. And that is sick and gross. And we need to prevent that. But at least if that happens, my daughter should not be forced to carry to term the rapist baby, right? Not that the baby's bad, but that the rapist is, is horrible and horrifying. So um, the, the cool thing is the ERA has been passed and it's just a technicality that it has to be put on the books. And so the House has passed it, but of course the Senate has not. So if any of you have conservative senators, you need to put the pressure on them to you know put in... It, I forget, put on the books, the ERA is the correct term or some legal term like that. And um, that will also protect our rights and treat those of us with uteruses as equal citizens. Um, I wear a uterus necklace almost at all times. And I say, we all came of the womb, respect the womb. And I don't know anyone who wasn't born of a womb yet. So you owe somebody with a womb. And to treat us as second-class citizens is totally messed up. And if that could happen to the other side, it wouldn't be this way. So I will not be a second-class citizen. We shall not go back. It's not okay. And I think if we could pull it off, we should pull the Lysistrata, you know that? Whereas you get no sex until you fix the situation. <laughs> you know, we hold the vagina and you don't get any of this or boobs or any of my body until you fix this. Because Roe v. Wade, my right to decide what happens in my body is my right. And it's so messed up that they're about to take this away for. And so anybody, I think we should all totally pressure everybody on the Supreme Court and get to them through their family, their grandparents. Every, I don't care. I, I think we tell all of them you will be banished from stores, restaurants. I won't give you clothes. I won't do your hair. I won't cater your party. We're all just going to turn our back every time we see you. If you let your family member on the Supreme Court do this to us, because it's not okay. Sandra, I see you about to jump out I'm of your here, chair. So go I'm ahead. Here for it. Currently right now in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have a delegate, a woman delegate who wants to reinstate the abortion restriction that includes a 24 hour waiting requirement. And to only have a doctor perform surgical abortions with an ultrasound before, you know, and this is this is the problem with that to have a woman, you know, on board with restricting the the the, the choice, a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. Like when you go in you shouldn't have to wait 24 hours because 24 hours may be too late. You know what I'm saying? And this is where I think even with the with individuals who. Their job, like they're working, like they're already working a, a substandard, they're working multiple jobs and they can't take off another day. 
You know what I'm saying? So it's like putting them at a, it's like a, a, a lose-lose situation. So to have a woman pushing for this, and I'm very, I'm very, very sick to my stomach. They even, they voted this person in, but also knowing that she has these views, it's like, dang, can we tap those women on the shoulder who are, um, who are supporting these men who don't even have a uterus, who have never grown a baby? Like, civilization would stop if women would say, you know what, we're going to move away and you'll figure out how you're going to have a baby, how you're going to create your legacies. How about that? And if that happens, then they will see the power. And I think this is just a thing about control of something that you they can't do. They don't bring life, but they want to determine how a woman brings life into the world or has the choice of when they can they start a family. And I think that it's we need to talk to the women as well who are voted in, who are siding with men who have no clue about anything about a woman's body. That makes me. <laughs> for them to be so in control of things that they have no power over. It just blows my mind in what I'm seeing happen in Texas. This is where we're going to see so many women choosing to do those um, those backdoor abortions, those taking these pills, taking these remedies and things like that to try to make that choice. And it's it's sad and it's unfair because when when they die, what are we going to say at the funeral? I would actually blame, I would actually go on record at the funeral and say, do thanks to such and such, our loved one is no longer here. They should be charged with, mur- like, that's murder. They're essentially murdering these these women who have no choice. And, I'm sorry, this is just, ugh, it makes me angry. <laughs> and it's like, they they don't have, they should not have the right to determine anybody's medical decision, period. That's that that should always be. And it's OK. I appreciate you, uh, doctor, because, <laughs> oh, I, I would say with if this delegate, Tara, if she goes into a facility and she's going through something, I hope they turn like you remember what you said. Remember what you voted for. Remember, remind her of that and then send her on her way. That's yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really important for people to realize there is no medical reason for a 24 hour waiting period. That is simply to deter low income women who can't come twice. There is no reason for an ultrasound. Leave medicine to the doctors. And we should just keep saying leave medicine to doctors. And if doctors don't say it's medically indicated, then stop wasting my money. Stop wasting taxpayers' money and stop being um, social economicist, you know, because the rich women will always get whatever they want, but those who can't afford to take two days off and every woman who has ever contemplated a pregnancy continuing or terminating has spent far more than 24 hours. So to think that your 24-hour waiting period is creating thought where there was not is just a joke because every woman thinks about it as soon as you get pregnant in your life. You know, you've thought about it before, you thought about it during, you tried to prevent pregnancy, but the condom broke or the birth control failed you or whatever. It, to, to put the 24-hour waiting period is just an insult. We've absolutely thought about it. And no woman is doing drive-through abortion. I wish we could have drive-through. Let's pull up to McDonald's and just do it. No, it takes weeks to schedule and all that stuff. And 24 hours is an insult. We need to get rid of all of those. 
and then unnecessary ultrasounds or forcing women to have vaginal ultrasound when you could do an abdominal ultrasound. Again, leave medicine to the doctors, but throw back at them. None of this is medically indicated. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is not pushing or asking for any of this. This is simply people that are trying to put barriers. And yeah, and I love the fact that I believe the Secretary of State of Ohio at the time, uh, Ms. Turner, was passing a law or somebody in Florida, too, I forget, and maybe Georgia was like, okay, you want to do this to women? If you want Viagra, we're going to make you take a treadmill test and an anal exam and all sorts of crazy stuff. So like we women, when we get in office, we should just start throwing down these laws, not because they're right, but to show them how stupid the equivalent law is to us women, you know, but leave medicine to doctors. None of it's medically indicated and is absolutely insulting. 24 hour you know, waiting period. We all have thought about it far more than 24 hours, at least six to eight weeks. Right. And then they're they're removing like her thing is she wants to remove the state funded. So they don't she doesn't want to cover by Medicaid. So women who can't have who don't have access to um, affordable health care, they don't have the money. They're relying on state funded health care. Now it's like that's putting another financial burden. So then they're going to find other ways to get funding. And it's just for a woman to do this to other women is just disgusting. And I, you know, that's you're absolutely right, doctor, having men um, do a treadmill test. You know, if your hair is thinning, you know, all of these things need to be looked at before you all get your little blue pill or whatever pill you need, because you don't get to choose that. We should not have state funding for your problems that you're experiencing. So there, there it is. I'm just that's it. Yeah, I love that my dad was outraged that the government will pay for the blue pill for a 70-year-old dude to get it up, but will not provide for a 20 to 50-year-old woman to not get pregnant if she doesn't want to get pregnant. And when you don't fund birth control, you don't fund um, abortion, it's not a choice. You're pushing one choice over the other. And it's not in any family's interest to have a baby when they're not ready for it financially. It's not in that baby's interest to come into a family that doesn't want it because of one reason or the other, and it's cheaper to pay for birth control and abortion than it is for 18 years or whatever, you know, coming forward. Well, and that's what you and I spoke about a little bit when we recorded your podcast episode, because it always catches me off guard that this gets bundled into, you know, if, if people are really don't want someone to have to make the choice of choosing an abortion, why aren't we then doubling down on the education and the prevention before we even have to get to that choice? And that's the part that I've, I, I struggle with because I totally respect someone's choice to just be like, no, I think, you know, all birth should, you know, all conception should come to birth. Okay. That's your choice for you, but then let's, let's get ahead of it. Right. Like, just like you were talking about, how do we keep working back so that we achieve the goal. And if this goal is to avoid abortions, then we should be looking at all the options to do so. Um, and, you know, education being one of those, because there's so much miseducation out there about women's health in general and how our bodies work in general. Like, it's shocking to me um, how, how that is just not part of our regular education program. So that um, we just, there's just not enough information out there. Yeah, no, they've shown the states with the most restrictive abortion laws are the ones that are least supportive once the baby is born. 
It is the, quote, liberal states that allow you choice to decide what happens. And they support that choice by paying for abortion, but also paying for child care and pre-K and all of that. One major reason that people don't have kids is they can't afford it because of child care and education. And so if you really want to support choice, support comprehensive sex ed, support free birth control to prevent abortion, because if you prevent unplanned pregnancy, then you won't need abortion. And then support um, the choice to have a baby by giving you know, family medical leave, by providing childcare, by providing pre-K, and then people will choose to continue to have that pregnancy. But if you don't have that, then you really don't care about the baby that's coming into this world. Um, you just care about exactly, as Chandra said, um, controlling women's bodies. And it just blows my, why? You know, my body, my choice, your body, your choice. I'm the one that has to raise this baby, not you. And you're not going to help me once it's here. So um, it's, yeah, so important. Um, my one Pandia public service announcement, Pearl, I have to stick in every talk is make sure everyone with a uterus knows that you can make hashtag periods optional. Because whenever I give a talk to a group of like 30 women, three of them will come up to me afterwards and be like, I have these horrible periods and I'm like rolling on the ground and I can't go to work and I can't tell my boss because he's a dude and he would never understand. And it's like, uh, and she's like, well, it runs in my family. So it's just the way it has to be. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we have medicine to help you with that. If you're missing school or work, please see a doctor. There is medicine so that you don't have to bleed or suffer as much. And then um, if you're on the pill patch ring or if you just want to consider it, um, you don't have to bleed every single month. And it's actually more natural to have fewer periods. And so if you use the IUD, the implant, the pill patch ring, you can skip periods. And the Asian tiger mom from Silicon Valley is like, is your daughter going to do better on the SAT bleeding or not bleeding? Because my daughter's going to crush your daughter on the SAT because she won't be bleeding. <laughs> and then same thing for sports. Um, I just talked with the softball coach, a dude, and he's like, yeah, white pants. And I was like, oh, white pants <laughs> and tennis skirts, right? All that is better without random blood one week out of four. So do check out pandiahealth.com forward slash periods optional. At the bottom is my TEDx talk on the science and safety of not bleeding every single month and how it decreases ovarian, endometrial, colorectal cancer, and landfill. I agree with I just <laughs> I've always had male superiors and I ended up under my desk one day and all he said, do we need to call an ambulance? I said, please let me have a moment to myself. Like you would you would not understand this. Like just just go away. My door is closed. I'm under my desk. Let me have my moment with my heating blanket. Okay. I'm not bothering you. You had to knock on this door. Like I don't think people who don't understand who could not with with could not go through cramps and need to listen. I bet you if every man was had to have cramps, I tell you right now, there will be no laws on the books. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I like you, Dr. Yen. Like you're amazing. This well, is the power comes back to, right? Is like honestly, with International Women's Day, a lot of this is about like the difference. And it's not just, it's not just men. There are women that support these ideas, these laws, these practices. And, and I mean, I, I, we can't shame them. I mean, we, we're all a product of where we grew up, right? Most of us, 
are just a product of, of how we were raised, that the beliefs we were raised around. And so, of course, like at some point, you hope that around some exposure or some um, education that that changes. Um, but, you know, statistics show that no one, no one really escapes that completely. And so what we have to do is like invite people in to our beliefs, into our experiences. Like I 100% understand why the idea of abortion is hard for people. I wasn't raised that way. I'm very pragmatic. I understand that it's harder on the economy, hard on our social systems, you know, that people need education. We have better parents that raise better kids that are happier when they're ready. I mean, I understand all that stuff. And then when it comes down to that moment, as Sophia said, if you get pregnant, it is not an easy choice, you know? I mean, and, and just that, that, that idea and that respect for life is not an easy choice. No one does take that that lightly if they think about it. But I think we get caught thinking about that the, that the two choices are between this perfect vision of shoulda, coulda, woulda, and what's on the table or what someone's facing. And it's just not a reality. And so for me, it's like, did you, are, are, is what you're asking for in alignment with your ultimate beliefs? If you have a sanctity for life, how about that life of that child that's born that doesn't have food or doesn't have education or whose parent doesn't want them? Like the, the respect for life is not just for like birth itself, but it has to be for that, that person's entire life. Can we care for it? Can we educate it? Can we feed it? Do we have room in the planet for it? Is our planet going to explode environmentally because we have enough room for all of us? So, um, and then like, you know, just, and then does your logic follow in other laws? Like we're talking about, you can have Viagra, but you can have birth control. Like if you want to require, like, it's like, it's, it, this is, this is a very man versus woman experience. Even if it's not how we vote, there are women that vote for it and whatnot, but it's a very man versus woman experience in the way that it is our bodies. We do get stuck with it. And then like, you're not required to pay for it. Like, I, I feel like I, I can respect, talk to, have that conversation all day with anyone who wants to say, yeah, I want to require that there's no abortion. I want to require that if someone gets pregnant, they have that baby. And I want to require that that father pay for it. Like, that's not, that's not a thing. I have friends that got pregnant and then in, in a, you know, child support uh, case, they were working under the table, didn't show any income. And the court decided they had to pay, pay their, the mom like $37 a month. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care what you're doing with your life, but your child doesn't cost $37 a month. So, um, you know, it's like, does your thinking follow through? Does your sanctity for life follow that quality of life? follow everybody else's quality of life, the quality of life for that mother, the quality of life for that father, the quality of life for our economy that it's draining sometimes on our social systems. And then are you going to require that father to pay for it? Are you going to require that we have, like Kara said, like sex education? If you're going to require that people have to have a baby, are you going to make sure they're informed about how we get there and what they can do to make sure that they're, that, that doesn't happen when they're, when they're not ready? So uh, to me, it's just like a, it's, it's this thinking that there's one belief that like creates the outcome that we wanted. And it's really a pipe dream versus like dealing with reality and seeing that logic all the way through. I want to touch a little bit on, definitely agree with all of you ladies and I have nothing else to add because Dr. Sophia just went for it. Chandra, everything. I back up everything that you guys say, but um, I don't remember who said it. It's been a couple of minutes, <laughs> uh, but you guys touch on, uh, it has to start on the, my, this is my belief, at the educational level too. I remember growing up, um, speaking of like, yeah, period was always a, a shameful thing. You were never even talking about sex. I was very lucky that my parents were very open, very, uh, not liberal, but very open with me and my sister. They were like, as soon as we got our, our periods, they're like, okay, ladies, sit down, sit down. This is what's going to happen from now on. And we were, I was like, I was maybe 13. My sister was already, you know, a little bit older, but 
uh, they were like, okay, this is going to be the education that you're going to have at home because you're not getting it at school. And I didn't go to school when I was younger here. I went to school in Colombia in my home country. But now even here, I did get to go through like high school here. And that was still never a talk on, you know, mental health or like some other different skills that I feel that is that's so important to start um, having nowadays. I feel like if I were to have kids, if I have kids in the future, I would have like these if they're not part of the school system uh, yet, by the time I have kids, um, I hope that I can, you know, I'll, I will be that parent teaching them at home. Like, listen, this is, these are your rights. This is your, you know, um, this is how sex works. This is what's going to happen. This is what happens if you get pregnant. You know, like all those things that should not be even shameful to talk to at home. And I feel, um, you know, the Latino community is very, very close to like even speaking about those uh, subjects at home. I was one of the very few that had parents with a very open mind to talk to us at home. But then I talked to other friends and, you know, they're like, this is it's, you know, sh- it's a shame to talk about it at school. It's a shame. To- My parents would never talk to me about these topics. So I feel yeah, I feel like maybe there's there should be like a. Um, you know, I went through like ESL program. There should be like uh, some other extracurriculum kind of subjects to be done at school as part of a program that everyone needs to go through before they even go into, you know, their adulthood and everything. So real adult classes, right? (laughs) Health, finances, mental health, communication. (laughs) Well, what I think is so interesting about all of the topics that impact women is that they all overlap, right? There's the, if anyone's read the book Freakonomics, they do this whole study where they say, why did crime go up in the nineties or why did it drop? Sorry. Why did crime drop in the nineties? And the only causation they could find was Roe v. Wade. Less criminals were born was like the, the idea meaning that people who may have produced criminals historically now had a choice they didn't have to, right? It all comes down to, can the parent take care of them? Can the parent provide for them? Because, you know, it's not just having a child, it's creating a good human. So I think that's a good segue, actually, Chrissy, back to you, of seeing what you see happen in in jails and, you know, especially working with young people, right? Because you're trying to, to bring back young people into society, who went to, what's the age of most of the people you're working with when they first went to jail? Well, so I primarily, in the prisons, I work with transitional youth. It's 18 to 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we support a lot of lifers. Those are people who had like an indeterminate potential life sentence. Um, and I, most of them honestly went before 18. Uh, the youngest is 14, but a lot of 15, 16, 17. Um, and, and Sophia mentioned it. Like this is not, it's not a personal issue. It, it affects mm-hmm. our society. I cannot tell you how many of my community members, when it comes down to it, you know, their stories, like my parents didn't want me, whether they were adopted or just like left at home neglected or, and sometimes it's not even like, you know, a story of abortion or whatnot. It's like a parent died of cancer. But, um, but when people don't have safe homes, I mean, we know it about like, like uh, divorce and stuff like that. Um, when people don't have safe homes, like good mentoring, like loving places, education, when their brains aren't fed, when they're not feeling like they have a community, they, they act out. And we've seen it time and time again. Like it's sometimes when you, when you focus on like the, the amount of things that happen in life, it can be easy to think like, oh, we all have issues or, you know, it'll be fine. They'll get over it. 
But the reality is that in an individual experience, when someone has to live through that, it takes a toll. It creates trauma. And that trauma is going to express itself somehow, especially when the place that you're experiencing trauma is, 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 a, is someone who doesn't have the resources, the, you know, the, their own modeling, their own community to then help you heal that. And so as Sophia mentioned, like often this, like these issues play out amongst people that are low income, they're people of color, they're women. Um, and so they end up having the less resources then to, to, to help like, you know, fix it or even, or even, even the time to, to like identify it in the first place. And, and that does come out in crime. It comes out in the way that like, um, it, it's not just like their issue that the crime like makes, it makes us afraid. It makes us hard to sleep. It makes our insurance premiums go up. You know, I mean, it might be someone, you know, that got hurt. It might be you that got hurt. Um, and honestly, like anytime someone goes to prison or jail, that's costing us money. That's costing their family that like, like social like fabric. That's so important. It's costing their kids that they likely have to lose a parent or a parent to lose their child. Um, so these things play out in very real and very like traumatic ways for, for throughout our society. And when we're looking at, you know, things that come up on the ballot statewide or nationwide, what are things you wish people knew about the area of criminal justice system so that we can make better choices about that? Because you're doing so much great work about reintegration and giving people tools and resources, which are so severely lacking. But how do we avoid that whole process in the first place? That is a really tough question because avoiding it in the first place involves fixing all of our social issues, fixing poverty, fixing racism, you know, fixing sexual rights issues. I mean, it, it, it involves fixing everything else, which is, again, this comes back to like, where do you, where does it start? Which issue do you pick? Um, but so th there's a huge movement for like abolitionists, like no more prisons at all. And I love the idea, but I, I haven't been able to meet people there because um, I, I've unfortunately known too many community members that say that they needed that. They were like, yeah, I was going down a bad path and I would have hurt more people. And, um, you know, some people, some of them refer to it as a timeout, They're like I needed a timeout. Um, and so there's, there's a bit of a place, there's a bit of a place for that. I think, you know, just, just given that we can't fix all the other issues that lead to it. But to me, it's about what does that place look like? What's the effort? And so there's, um, if someone doesn't know about like, the Norway model or restorative justice, it's really, really like making a prison experience, a jail experience rehabilitative. It's focusing on like, what's the goal? Because most people are going home. And like I said before, like they do have families. They can come, you know, be contributors to our economy. They can be good friends. They can be good mentors, good models. They can make a difference. And it's really about how you get from, you know, doing something wrong, having a bad moment, not having good examples or having good, you know, goals in your life to that, to somebody who has good goals, to somebody who wants to contribute and it's rehabilitation. And so, um, really it's about a commitment of what, what that looks like in the meantime. And so if you're, if you're voting, we should be voting on rehabilitative dollars, voting on like systems that let people good for good, let people go home for good behavior. Like they have to have incentives, you know, people who do really well, who do their work, who, who prove to be good citizens, who prove to have something to like to contribute they should be able to go home. That will save us money. They'll go home. Most of them have a, have a huge passion to help others that were walking in their footsteps and they can prevent like future people from going to prison or jail. So um, really, yeah, if you're voting, if you're looking at policies, looking at the way prisons are run, looking at the way your corrective dollars are spent, focus on rehabilitation, community run programs, transformative programs, um, restorative justice works. 
and look at the Norway model because wardens from all over this country are going to Norway to see what they do in their prisons. Because, and statistically, it works. They have, their crime is less, the recidivism is less, they spend way less money. The experience for their officers, their staff, everybody in the prisons is much safer. Families are reunited much easier. So look at those things for sure. Can I chime Can I just, in really quick? I'm sorry. You go first. <clears throat> okay, so I'm I'm hearing you saying, you know, the, the in Norway, yes, their prisons are great. They actually do support the 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 rehabilitation, but a lot of black and brown children, the school to prison pipeline is a real thing. So if we're voting on policy, we need to address that as well because those individuals who who are locked up, who are arrested at five, four and five years old are set upon this path of they will always be a target. They would always, if they have a bad day or a meltdown, they're labeled as, you know, um, misfits or they're in the juvenile justice system so we stop stop it there there won't there will not be a need for the restorative um dollars the rehabilitation dollars because these children are essentially looked at as a um as a commodity into the the prison system into keeping that that whole cycle going so i get the end result between 18 and 25 but we need to really address that that the foundation that starts when these children are children and then they're not labeling labeling them as children because some labeling a 14 year old as adult adult is another issue you know even like i i can speak for a little black girls little brown girls they're already looked at as violent or um or a problem and so this as we talk on international women's day let's talk about the miss the, the the stereotypes that affect, you know, these these brown girls, these girls who are not the typical blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, oh, she's having a bad day or she's just like the 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 comparison is just is horrible because they both are children. They're both little girls who are dealing with with their emotions and trying to figure out. But one is suspended from school and the other one is given therapy. And that's where we need to as as women, we do need to jump on these things that are created to mislabel children instead of giving them the benefit of doubt of that understanding. Like, I love what you're doing and all of that, but we need to really, as women, if we're going to come together, we need to talk about that as well. We need to support that as well, because even those women who are coming back into society, more, more than likely, they won't be able to get the incentives, especially if they're a woman of color. They will, you know, they're often looked at as the aggressor or the aggressive ones or those who, you know, they might not get to those milestones, those markers so that they can, you know, get home. So these are things that, I mean, we need to address that as well, because that is underlying. That is a huge issue that we can have this great view of things, but certain people are going to look at we looked at certain way. You know, and that's the, the sad part of the whole thing. And we as women sometimes hold the keys to changing that. And I think we need to em empower ourselves to say, you know what, this is not going to happen. The administrators at the schools, all of these teachers, they need to come together and start start stopping this this from this cycle from continuing. Shonda's absolutely right. The school to prison pipeline is a real thing and it does target children of color for the, you know, for the most part, it's a way to keep people um, of low economic status and people of color. Um, you know, like she said, if, if, a, if a, a white kid acts out, oh, let's send him therapy. If a black kid acts out, oh, he's dangerous. And um, I, I think the same systems need to be used in our schools. Like I'm, I'm very blessed to live in California where 
um, you know, a lot of schools are integrating restorative justice practices into the actual school. So if there's an issue, they deal with it in a circle. They listen. They give kids a voice. Giving kids a voice is so, so, so important. Giving everyone a voice, obviously. But since we have the opportunity to start young and to instill values and, and confidence and really invite people into community, it's really crime is all about inviting people into community. If they feel a part of, they want to contribute, they want to be received well by, you know, it's all about being part of community. But Shonda's absolutely right. You know, um, in California, they've, they've been doing, a, passing a lot of laws where you can't prosecute children or, and they've, they've raised the age from what's considered like youth or child to 25, because that's science, current science thinks that that's when the brain is still developing. And so it's like, rather than looking at people, any child, any child should never be looked at as a throwaway. Every child is a blank canvas. Every child has so much room to grow. And every child ultimately inside is striving to be successful, to be loved, to be contributing. And so, yeah, that school to prison pipeline is, is the biggest, um, it's the start as, as she's, I mean, it's really the biggest start of it. So yeah, anytime that we can focus on our children, focus on their rehabilitation, focus on restorative justice in schools. But like she said, you have to focus on racism. There's principals, teachers, parents, you know, that have a lot of um, voice and sway in that. And, and, and we do treat children differently. Yeah, before I was going to just jump in on, you know, another kind of policy is decriminalizing stuff. Like when I was at uh, Juvenile Hall at, you know, San Francisco, I was seeing young women brought in for prostitution. And I was like, don't get the girls, get the Joes. You know, the girls are here because they were raped. They ran away from home and they needed to make money. But it's the sick, lascivious dudes that are the ones that need to be arrested. These girls need therapy. These girls need help. These girls need alternative ways to make money. And all of these kids that I see, I just wish that if you've ever read um, Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, there's a follow-up book where she runs a orphanage. And if they could all go live in a family with Joe and her husband as their parents, you know, and be loved, it's same thing for the dude that I saw in Juvie. He was the sweetest guy. And I was like, what are you here for? We're not supposed to ask, but it always comes up. And he's like, oh, I did a carjacking. And I was like, oh, so there was an empty car and you like stole it. He's like, no, I took a gun to someone's head and told him to get out of the car and stole his car. I was like, oh, you know, and he would come in every single week with a different physical complaint, like even a limp. And by the end of our half an hour, hour session, he would be, it would miraculously disappear. And I realized, God, if I could have only just picked him up, he'd been in foster care, you know, since age eight, if I had picked him up and brought him into my family, or if I had pulled a Joe and had an orphanage of me and my husband loving all these orphans, they could have had a different life. And so one, decriminalizing prostitution, never arrest the woman, always arrest the dude and give these women other opportunities. And two, San Francisco has a good uh, wraparound program. Once you're arrested in juvenile, then they give you a social worker and like a whole wraparound group of services to prevent you from coming back again. And I love the idea of, you know, extending youth until 25 when their brain is full, more fully developed, but just, you know, prevention and in realizing and helping, you know? Well, Carolina, I'd love to focus on you for a second because you have the pleasure of speaking to amazing women like I do on a regular basis and having lots of powerful people come into your sphere and lots of people who are up to things. When you look at everyone that you have a privilege to talk to and interact with, 
what are you inspired by and where do you see people putting in their attention and efforts today? I'm so inspired. The first word that comes to mind always is the resiliency. The res- women that I talk to on a daily basis are so resilient, no matter what, because we go through so many things at women, as women. And to add on another thing, being you know a career change or starting a new business or you know deciding to be part of your community and getting so involved. Uh, you know, to help other younger lives or whatever, all of these things take so much work and being, you know, just being a woman and being able to go through all these things. is just one, I have one word that I learned from, uh, from them is resiliency. And when it comes to different, different things, I've met women too, who are dealing with, you know, maybe a medical issue, maybe, uh, um, something else, or they care for a parent, they, they care for their parents who no longer live in this country. They live abroad and they were that one first, you know, the first generation uh, Latino or U.S. born Latino who now are, are taking care of their family. You know, the first one to go to, to, go to, to college, the first ones to start a business, the first ones to, you know, a lot, I hear a lot of firsts, you know. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm a little, you know, biased. So of course, I am <laughs> towards the Latino community because that's that's what's, you know, part of me. And I am part of. So uh, these are the things that I I'm so proud of of seeing in my community, but also in all women's community. You know, we are taking that step and taking risks and being that first person, even if you know your old boss told you, "Oh yeah, you're gonna start that." Of oh, good luck, you know, good luck with living with no benefits or like having you know a cushion to pay for your bills and things. All these fears that they they try to like embed in our brains and it's so hard to get, get get past them or get over them but still we continue to show up the, these women that I that I hear from they continue uh to show up it doesn't matter if, even if they don't know the you know the ins and outs of whatever they're getting into yet they find a way to start learning and now we have so many opportunities to just if you want to learn something there is Google University. <laughs> and then through Google, you can find different communities. You can find different workshops. And I love how, you know, over the last two years, women's businesses or women's uh, women launching their own course, teaching, you know, we have this urge now to, we, I went through it you can do it too. I went through it. I can give you a little shortcut. Let me show you how to do it. And if even if they're like, you know, we deal with so many things, imposter syndrome or being someone not believing in them. Maybe our own partners at home don't think that, you know, um, it, it's possible, but still go ahead and do it. So I feel like, yeah, being resilient and all these women, uh, I continue to be so inspired by just the women's community and the women that I that I get to, to talk to um, on a daily basis. And everyone here, too, is inspiring me so much. So definitely. Thank you for that. Well, and you have such a unique story because this is your new home, right? America being this and, you know, transitioning in as an an immigrant into this country and being able to excel, you know, I think sometimes we also, it's can be, we're so hard on ourselves and then we're so hard on our own country. So from the perspective you have of Reminding us a little bit about like what does work here that maybe doesn't work other places. That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. I actually I 
I've been here more, yeah, more, more than half my life. I got here, I'm very transparent with my age. I'm 36 years old and I got here when I was 14. So I was a teenager uh, when I when I got here. And now I got to live, you know, like a little bit of my childhood, but then also most of my adult life. And, but I'm still very connected to my roots in Colombia. I have lots of family there. My parents now went back <laughs> because they retired and, it, you know, during that pandemic, we don't, we don't want them to be like locked in, in a place here. Um, so we all, as a family, we're very close. We decided to send them back <laughs> or like they, you know, they can go and enjoy their own home and their, their space there in Colombia. So now I think I'm going to speak. That's the most recent thing that I can hear that works or doesn't work. So here in the United States, we have so many opportunities. Um, you know, besides some of the issues that as women we deal with or like, you know, some government policies and stuff. Um, I do feel that this is this is a country uh, is a country of opportunity is a country of, you know, uh, where you can get to be who you want to be. And maybe that is one of the reasons why my parents brought us here when, when I was very young. They saw a, a better future, or, you know, a country that was better than than our country. So I think one of the things that has been so present um, in my conversation with my parents, which just recently moved, is, you know, um, health insurance and like the health system and all of that. For them there to now get even get to see a doctor, um, to get to an emergency room, to get to to get an, an um, x-rays, MRIs, all these different tests or whatever. And now they're at the age that they have to be so in tune with their health and in contact with the doctors and everything. They're like, oh, we wish we were in the United States because that's a little bit easier here. You know, healthcare, having insurance, having um, access to here that really care for people's um, health um, in our country. It's like, you're one more number. You have to make this line. No matter if you have the best insurance, no matter if you're going to see your own personal doctor, you want to pay out of pocket. We're like, what do we have to do here? We'll wire you some money if you want to like, go and see someone right away, but just take care of whatever it needs to take care of. So that has been, I guess, the, one of the things that um, that I could say does work in the United States and it, it doesn't work so much. Any, uh, not when we were there and not uh, now recently that I that I hear it so close from my parents, um, you know, sharing with us about their, their health journey, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely very grateful with this country, very grateful, um, to be able to be from here and from there, you know, uh, bringing, bring a little bit of my, my, my spice and my country spice to this country, but also embracing what great embracing, you know, that journey that I, of growing up here as well, for half of my life, more than half. What I keep hearing is everyone sharing that the burden continues to fall on women wherever there's a gap in what is set up structurally in our society, either through community agreement or through family or through the government. Um, you know, women are the ones that have to worry about where the doctors and the insurance are, right? <laughs> like I remember every time you move growing up, my mom would have her list of where's the school, where's the doctor, where's the playground, where do we get food? Like it was her list to go find all the things we needed to, to be successful. Um, there's the whole conversation now of women being sandwiched between taking care of their parents and taking care of their kids and often getting hit with, you know, very expensive bills with kids in college and parents needing support or care or to, um, you know, in-house or out of house. 
And same thing with, you know, keeping kids safe and educated and all the things fall tend to fall on us if no one else is doing it. And so it speaks to me of even more reason why we do need to, you know, be a bit more arm in arm. And while we do need to remember that each of us is, is kind of working in a different area and how can we support and help, even if we just hold you up, <laughs> right? Like, you know, from exhaustion. Um, but I'd love to wrap up this conversation, you know, with you, Chandra, with doing so much about voting rights and how that's where so much of this can change. Um, just tell us what we need to know and how we can, why that's such an important thing and why just like Roe v. Wade, we can't let that um, be someone else's problem. Well, one, I would like this, like, my biggest thing is look at the reasons why there are individuals who are really trying to block access to voting, access, you know, access to polling places, um, purging, you know, the election rolls so that individuals can't vote or, you know, taking away the convenience of absentee ballots and things like that. Look at who's doing that and the reasons why. And then from there, you you can actually, you know, be on the forefront of saying this, go to the town hall meetings, go to these, um, go to the board of supervisors, meeting, go to these things and make sure, make sure that you are speaking your mind and providing that feedback. And also these election officials are voted in. So if you don't like the policies and things that they are doing, vote them out and put someone in that is that will actually be an advocate for voters, not a person who wants to skew the election because of their 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 narrow minded views. And then as well as, you know, with seeing the different things on the ballot that are coming up, make sure you're researching these candidates. One of the things that I that I do is I interview candidates here in Stafford because I want them to be themselves and show what they're what they're bringing to the table. Like because I go from a citizen standpoint, like, why should I vote for you? Get you know, earn my vote. Don't just I don't vote along party lines. I want you to earn my vote. This is something that you have every right to do. You have every right to ask them, why should I vote for you? Or why should I why should I reelect you into this office when you didn't do this, 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 and this? Speak up, use your voice, because the moment your 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 democracy is based on you voting, like I really want to say, oh, these patriots and things like that. You cannot take away someone's choice. That is what this country, there's a couple of things that the country is built on, but we're not going to talk about that. But, <laughs> you know, the right, people died for voting, to vote. People paid, they went through all of these things to vote. Don't let those deaths or don't let those hardships or those trials and tribulations be in vain. You know what I'm saying? Like, so make sure you're understanding what's going on in your backyard. Federally, takes years to affect us. Locally, they're going to affect you right now. And that's going to affect how you are represented in, in the federal government. So remember that state, local, pay attention because those individuals who are put in office are going to make decisions that are going to affect you and your family right now. So stop with the, oh, okay, if this doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. Your mayor matters. The person who runs the board of elections matters. The person who is um, your attorney general matters because they will take away your rights, too, because guess what? If the governor is on the side that you or you don't want to be there, that attorney general is going to be with them, too. And they're going to make sure like the issue that we're having in the Commonwealth. There are more men who are making decisions for women and women supporting these poor decisions. So be mindful of 
of those things before you go to the ballot. Be mindful. Use your voice. They all have email addresses. If you don't like what they're doing, say something. Just don't threaten them because we don't want you all to go to jail or anything like that. <laughs> Just <laughs> but speak up and use your voice. That's that is my biggest thing why voter rights are so important. Well, I mean, I know that if we put anyone on this call and anyone listening to this call currently or in the future into any room, we can't help but look around and be like, wait, why is that over there? Like, it could be a chair. We're like, that chair doesn't belong there. It could be a perspective. We'd be like, oh, hold on. I don't think, I think that perspective needs to move, right? So to me, that speaks to how powerful women are because we, we, if we really look, we see things. And we can't, if we see something out of place, as minor as the details it is, or as as impactful as the detail it is, it's hard for us, if not impossible to unsee it. And, you know, you know, what we've been looking at in, in my company, everything else is like, how can we be putting ourselves in positions to see things more firsthand, right? Um, we're doing a, a monthly volunteer activity, which we'll be rolling out. Anyone can come and hang out and do it. We're going to be you know, pulling things together. We can do more in different states and cities around the US. But like for me, to your point about being local, when I get overwhelmed about what I want to fix and can't, I don't, I don't have my magic wands yet. I'm, I'm waiting for it to come, but I keep thinking, well, okay, like what can I change in my house? What can I change on my block? What can I change in my city? Because when it's smaller, this goes back to the habits and some of the things you guys talked about earlier, right? The more we block down our time, the more we block down the problem, we can see it, right? And then if we start adding each other into it, when there's 10 of us showing up at a town hall meeting that people usually don't care about, suddenly they're like, oh. And it makes me think back to being in school because I was really privileged to be uh, on the field hockey team. And it just so happened that the field hockey, where it's like 10 of us graduating together, we all were doing well in school. And whenever we showed up in a classroom, we were kind of a pain in the ass because if we were like, that homework's stupid. We'd all be like, yeah, it's stupid. And teachers must have hated us, but they couldn't say much because we were good kids and we were doing well. We just realized the power in numbers. and. It was such a silly thing that we would manipulate. So it's like, okay, how can we use all the power that we have to manipulate for good, <laughs> to influence for good? Um, but it's really an honor to get to spend some time today with the four of you. You are an inspiration to me. You are so powerful. And I'm really thankful that you guys are doing the work, bringing the people together, having the conversations. Like, I can sleep better at night knowing that you guys exist in the world. So thank you for that. Um, I'll let you guys each, you know, share a last piece. Please promote yourself because everyone here now loves you and wants to help you and promote you too. Um, but we'll start with Christine. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a lovely conversation. I didn't know any of the rest of the panelists before today, even though I've been a part of the, the Pop Ladies community for a little bit. And so it's been really awesome to see you guys, to hear you put faces to the names. And then again, like Kara said, just like knowing, it's always like reassuring, like knowing there's other people out there, like carrying a torch. I can see better knowing that like, I don't have to be doing reproductive rights today because I'm just going to call you, Sophia. So, um, you know, everyone, thank you for um, all your passion, all your hard work. Um, I guess signing off, I'm Christy. I, I'm representing Revolution. We do um, like restorative programs for people that are incarcerated and people that are coming home. Of course, we can always accept donations, but truly, truly, I really think that like learning 
and learning to like walk and hold space for each other is like even more important. So I think if you're in the area and you want to learn about it, you want to participate, you want to come to the groups, you want to support somebody in re-entry. A lot of times they just need like one person who can help them figure out how to get to the drive, the DMV or how to use the bus system. And I cannot keep up with that. Like that kind of one-to-one, I need to teach you how to do A, B, and C. It's almost like a buddy program, right? So anyone who wants to help like um, has a, has a specialty and can help teach like financial literacy or even like health, like, like diet, nutrition. Um, really, I think if you have something you want to bring to the table and you have a, you have a specialty or, or an education or a field, um, we could use it, but like our, our community could use it, whether we teach it in prisons or people coming home. So I'd say if it's something you want to get involved in, just hit us up. Perfect. Thank you. Sophia, your turn. Well, um, I'm Dr. Sophia Yen. Mom said, claim all your titles. So ladies, claim all your titles, whatever title you have at all times. And uh, CEO and co-founder of Pandia Health. Um, we're building the online health brand Women Trust. We are the only doctor-led, the only women-founded and women-led company in this space. So please, ladies who are listening to this show and anyone who supports those of us with uteri, given two companies, all things equal, choose the one with the woman founder and the woman CEO. Also know that some of my competitors have recently woman washed, which is taking their male CEO and swapping it for a woman. So now they can claim woman led, um, which is great for the woman and great for the company because now it will be governed by a great person perhaps but know that we were women founded, women led from the beginning and we're the only doctor led company in this space. Please follow us on every social media platform and any introductions you want to make to organizations that wanna talk on birth control, periods optional, who want to do some public service announcement with random women's health tips, um, any exposure. And we're also looking for investors and celeb um, influencers, send them my way. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, Chandra. <laughs> well, you know, um, I really, I'm getting better at speaking about myself, guys. So, um, <laughs> you know, as a business consultant and publicist, I, um, I really am, I'm changing the way that I'm doing things. But my personal brand, which I definitely have to talk more about, is Conversations with Chan. This is where I put individuals on a platform. I have a podcast, YouTube series, publication. And I write, you know, I'm actually getting getting by finding my voice because I, I smile before, I make everyone smile before I have the conversation. Because when you smile, you know, the conversation will flow. You feel comfortable like we're just chatting. So um, that's where you can find me, Convos, Conversations with Chan on um, Instagram, also conversationswithchan.com, you know, and you can find out more about me as a introvert, the most extroverted introvert ever. And um, you can actually, um, if you need a publicist or a consultant who needs to help, you know, you need a little boost. I'm here for that. I provide those strategies and those out of the box thinking that can help you to elevate your brand. Love it. Last but not least, Carolina. All right. I love that, Jandra, for someone who doesn't, who doesn't like to do loves from another person. I was taking notes and we'll connect for sure. Um, again, thank you so much, ladies. It has been an honor to be here. Thank you for sharing and thank you for listening. Let's continue to do this together. Kara, thank you for the invitation. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna plug in myself before my company. Okay, <laughs> so I am a journalist, uh, really, really passionate about stories, the power of story. I think that's why it's so hard to talk about myself because I love other people's stories. But um, yeah, you can follow me, myself, at Carolina Trejos on Instagram, just first and last name all together. And Pink Cafe is, again, my uh, women empowerment platform right now. We do a podcast, a TV show, and I co-host it with my sister, who's another um, badass entrepreneur. She's a, a producer, an actor. Uh, and we have the pleasure of telling women's stories on this platform, Pink Cafe. We're on LATV Network on Tuesdays. Today, we have our women's special, Tuesday at 4 p.m. But I know the TV is very hard to watch nowadays, like national television. So we're also digital. You can also find, it, find us at latv.com. That's where we at, upload our full-on 24-minute 24, 24 shows. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, We'll, we'll love to continue to connect, continue to share your stories. Maybe you guys can come to our show as well. I'm here in Los Angeles, California. I can connect with Christian or Christy's in Venice. Uh, but anyone else, please, LA. Mi casa es tu casa. So see you guys soon here. Awesome. Yeah, you guys are amazing. I put all the links in the chat that you guys mentioned. Um, there'll also be links for everybody when we um, replay this as a podcast. It'll be in the show notes. You guys will get all those links as well. Um, but thank you guys for being here. Our next Powerful Conversation series is happening on Earth Day, April 22nd. It's 2 p.m. Pacific time. And we're going to be talking all about sustainable entrepreneurship and how we can be tackling just that topic in our businesses and our lives. That's a whole other can of worms, right? It's one of the areas that we didn't talk about today that um, impact, again, women more than men and all over the world. So that's the next event. You should be seeing... Uh, links to sign up and it'll be promoted on my Instagram as well. My Instagram is Kara underscore Duffy. And you can also follow uh, at Powerful Ladies for more information. But thank you guys so much. I hope you have an amazing International Women's Day and I will hopefully see all of you guys soon. Thank you. All the links to connect with Christy, Chandra, Carolina, and Dr. Sophia Yen are in the show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. They are critical for podcast visibility. Come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit caraduffy.com or Kara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and an amazing new guest. Until then, I hope we're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.